tonight. If you have your Bibles, grab those. Romans chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 12, and if you want to, you can follow along on the app under worship. Uh, and then there's sermon notes there, and you can follow along if you like to kind of follow that way. You're more than welcome to do that. Um, well, Happy New Year's. Right, 2021, here she is, ready or not, right? Who would have thought 2020 would have been what it has been? Um, but like I said last week, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, no matter what we face, no matter what uh, is set for tomorrow or in five minutes or, or whatever the case may be, we've got a God who holds that in his hand uh, and who's in the middle of it with us and is working and doing something far greater than we could ever ever imagine. So regardless of what happens or goes on, God's going to accomplish uh, even in the midst of that. And the, the last probably, probably month, month and a half, God has just been uh, just working on my heart. Um, and this, this phrase has just been on my heart and I can't get it off. Such a time as this. Such a time as this. And I guess for me what it is, is when you look at the church, when you read scripture and you look at the church, what you see is this, is that the church flourishes when? Under immense persecution, difficulty, struggles in the world, uh, craziness that happens in, uh, in cultures. That's when the church flourishes the most. Why? Because God has created and formed us and fashioned us. Why? For such a time as this. Regardless of what's going on in our world, regardless of happening in politics, regardless of what's happening in culture, uh, God has set a standard and a way for his church to live and to be. And when we live that way and we do the things that Christ has called us to do and be, uh, she's going to flourish. We're going to flourish. And we've got to understand what flourishing is. Flourishing is not uh, uh, the standard by which the world and culture sets, but flourishing as it pertains in it and it goes along with God's word and his standard. And so God has just put that phrase on my heart over and over and over, such a time as this. And my hope is in the next few weeks to kind of show you that, for us to just walk through some of that reality together. And, and I believe Romans chapter 12 is a great, great place to do that. So the game plan will be the next few weeks to be uh, in Romans 12 and walk through some of uh, these uh, great, great words that the Apostle Paul pins to the church there uh, in Rome. Um, and so, and just see what God has for us, see what he'll, he'll do in us as a result of his word. And so this morning, man, we're going to look and see how to process and respond as followers of Jesus in this world in such a time as this. So I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray, and then we will jump into what God has for us this morning. Father, we love you. Again, Jesus, we need you. Father, such a time as this, God, you have created us and made us and formed us and fashioned us. And God, you have been doing a work in us as a result of being your followers. God, to prepare us for a moment, for a time such as this. As our world is in immense chaos and craziness and fear has plagued this world. Father, we know that we have nothing to be afraid of. God, we know that we have hope. God, we know that we can have joy that surpasses all understanding regardless of circumstances. And so, Father, you have set the stage for your church, your bride, your believers to live in a way that's going to point all glory and all honor back to you. Father, it's going to, it's going to pave the way for this world to see how great and good you truly are. So, Father, I pray that you help us rise to the occasion, help us to be spirit-filled, help us to be focused in. Father, help us to do what your word says and live these difficult truths that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Father, it is impossible to do apart from you. 
So Father, we acknowledge that this morning. We beg of you to show up in a mighty way in our lives. God, those in this room this morning, Lord, those watching online or who will watch online in the next few weeks, Father, we pray that you just, by way of your Holy Spirit, you do a mighty, mighty work in the heart of the people that will take this in and hear your word proclaimed. Not Scott's word, but your word proclaimed. So Father, help us this morning. God, be present this morning in this place as we know you are. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to see this list of traits as characterize just a spirit-filled life. It's traits that should guide us as believers and navigate us in this world. So what we have here is Paul pinning this letter to the believers in Rome. And in verses 4 through 8, leading up to verse 9, where we'll be here in a few moments, uh, he, he goes about talking about these spiritual gifts. And so then what we're going to see is he's going to turn that focus from those gifts on what we do with those gifts. And this is what he says in Romans 12, 9. And this is the first way that we as the church are to be in such a time of this. And it's to love genuine. That's what, we to do, that's what we're to do first is to love genuine. That's what he says in Romans 12, 9. He says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Simple enough, right? You would, you would read that and you would look at that and you think, okay, th- this should be easy. Just, just let love be genuine. Let love be real. But what happens is, is in our culture, in our world, uh, uh, we, we get it all mess, messed up and mixed up. And I believe we need to define this word love. Because the word that Paul uses here, I believe for us we don't quite understand. We don't fully grasp what he's talking about. And, and it's crazy that we even have to define the word love in our culture and our world today. But I, I just believe we do because what's happened with love has become a junk drawer word. It, it means everything, so really in essence it means nothing. I believe love in our culture, in our world, has lost its meaning and its stamina. Let me try to illustrate for just a second. So in a normal day for me, normal week for me, um, I'm a big love guy. So I will say love a ton of times. So I will say things like this, like I love tacos. I love a good steak. Cooked just right. Medium rare. If you've got to put something on top of that thing, you haven't done it right. Mm, I love steak. I've got a dog. I love my dog. I love the Mountaineers. I love golf. And I've got three little boys that I absolutely love, those little boys. And I've got a wife that I absolutely love and adore. And so throughout a week, I I love stuff. And I love hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I am a lover and I love. But but do you see see where the mix-up can come? Because if I love my wife the same way as I love our dog, there's a problem. You know what I'm talking about, man. Some of you have been there. Put the dog out in the yard, man. Let it go. Or if I love my boys the same way I love tacos, that's just weird. That, that, that's, 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 that's not right. That's, that's, so do you see where it kind of loses its meaning, where it kind of gets fuzzy, the waters get a little muddy? In, in, in our world, I don't, I don't believe we understand and we don't grasp, but in the scriptures we see a different words for the word love. And what we lose in the English language and the reading of these words is their true meaning. What word is used in this particular situation? And so what we see here when Paul pins to the believers in Rome and says, let love be genuine, he uses the word agape. Agape in the original language, in the original form, it centers completely on the needs and welfares of the one loved and does whatever is necessary to meet those needs, regardless of the cost, all the while expecting nothing in return. That's what Paul says the kind of love should should guide us in such a time as this. 
That kind of love. Let us love genuinely. That kind of love. Love today in our culture, in our world is, is what do I get out of it? What does it do for me? How does it make me feel? What, what is gained on my side, the one that's going to be doing the loving? And that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not genuine love. The type of love that Paul is talking about here and the way that we as the church are created to be in such a time as this is to be a love that's all in, committed to regardless, regardless of what we get in return. Regardless of what it does for me, how it makes me feel. See, this is the kind of God love that we see displayed on the cross in Jesus knowing good and well that those that he would die for would every so often turn their back on him, would every so often live the way that they wanted to live, would ever so often talk how they wanted to talk, would ever so often uh, put him on the back shelf and, and love and go after whatever it is that, 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 that made them feel better or things that they got uh, pleasure out of over him. See, that's the kind of love that, that Paul is talking about here. That's the kind of love, the only kind of love that we can display and that we can show is because the Holy Spirit living in us produces that in us. We, we can't muster that up. We can't do that on our own. We can't just try harder and, and, and manage to do it. This type of love. This is a God type love. And my fear is what's happened in this world is that the church has done a horrific job of representing this. Is that we as believers and followers of Jesus has done a horrific job of showing this type of love. And we're going to talk here in a minute about this thought of genuine love because I know that the thing for us is when we think of love, we think that anything goes. And I'm going to talk about that here in a moment because that's not the case with this kind of love. I would even venture to say and argue that that's not the case with any kind of love. That anything goes, that you can do whatever you want, that you can just turn a blind eye to stuff. And see, what's happened is Hollywood, Hollywood has ruined it for the world. All these movies, you complete me. No, no, no. I mean, I've been married 14 great years, and that woman has never completed me. Easy to say because she's not here, right? But you know what? She would echo the same thing. I mean, look at me. What is there to complete with her? You know what I'm saying? I don't complete her. I would never want to put that kind of weight and responsibility and expectation on her because she can't live up to that. She is a crummy, crummy God. But so am I. And I know that and I understand that. And see, Hollywood has ruined it for us. We like the fluff, fluff stuff. But that's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. It's not fluff, fluff. See, it's, it goes deeper than that. And so let's talk for just a minute about this thought of genuine. Because he says, don't, don't just let there be love, but let this agape, all-in, full, God-type love, let it be genuine. Let it be, be real is what he says. And so in the original language, this is where we get the English word for hypocrite. And so it's this thought of a, a theatrical word, this thought of, of genuine, this thought of hypocrite. It, it describes a character who wears a mask and portrays and pretends to be something that they're not. Theater, drama. And so what Paul is saying here is, is that's not to be the case. Don't love that way. Let it be real. Let it be true. See, the term in the New Testament here, normally it describes an unregenerate person, a lost person, a person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, who's never been born again. And it brings about this thought of being self-deceived. And so what Paul's pressing in this moment to the believers at Rome is, don't love that way. No, let that love be genuine. Let that love be real. Don't be self-deceived. 
deceived. Don't be hypocritical in your love, saying one thing but doing something different. Be honest, be really genuine. And so church, with that type of love, with this love that is real and genuine, there comes accountability. And so as I said earlier, uh, true love, agape love, is not the kind of love that just turns a blind eye, do whatever you want to do, live however you want to live, act however you want to act. No, there's accountability with this type of love. It's, I'm going to be committed to you, but as I'm committed to you, you're going to see that whenever I say something to you, you're going to see it lived out in my life, the thing that I'm saying to you. Whenever I walk with you and I call you out on something, it's not going to be in a harsh, mean way because it's going to be something that I'm trying to accomplish and do myself. And I love you enough to tell you the truth about where you're at. That's what this kind of love does. That's what this kind of uh, uh, genuine love brings about it. I'll do whatever you want, but it's be in your life and care for you. And regardless of what you think, regardless of what you say, regardless of what you do, I'm going to be committed and all in. So, so what this looks like right now for me is this, is that there's somebody that's in my life, kind of, that I love very, very much. And this person has been in my life for probably about 13, 10, 10, 12 years. And so over the last few months, I've had conversation with this person and in conversation with this person in a loving, gracious way, I've told them the truth about some things that I've seen that, that brings about worry in my heart for them, especially as it pertains to following Jesus and in doing that, what this person has done is just push me away. So you know what I say? Heck with them. They can have it. Whatever. No. no. That's not what we do. So even though they won't answer my phone call, even though they won't return my text, even though they don't want anything to do with me right now, do you know what I do? Every once in a while, I'll just shoot them a text. I'm praying for you. Love you. You know where I'm at. If I can ever do anything. Middle of the night, whenever. You don't even have to tell me what it is. I'm there. Don't, don't, don't want to hear it. They don't want anything. That's what real genuine love looks like. I, I don't... I don't care what their response is. I care for them regardless. But Scott, isn't that hard? In that? Yes, it's hard and it's difficult. What do you think I want to do? Heck with them. They're not going to listen. Be hard-headed and go do your thing. Whatever. Ugh. I didn't know what else to say there. I was stuck. That was probably the best thing I could say. Ugh. But thank God Jesus doesn't do that to us, right? Uh. Yeah, because we're just as hard-headed. We're just as aggravating. We're just as frustrating. We're just as you fill in the blank. So, so that's what we do because I love this guy and I care for him. And even though he doesn't want anything to do with me because I've given him hard truth, that doesn't mean I just get to check out and be done. Yes, God, but they don't want anything to do with you. That's fine. I want everything to do with them. It's not about what they want or not. It's about me caring and loving them and, and wanting to walk with them. And if they don't want me to walk with them right now, that's fine. There's still ways that I can do that. There's still ways that I can influence. There's still ways that, that I can let them know that I'm still here even though they're not there. That's what this kind of love looks like. That's what it looks like lived out. So, it's, it's, so for us as a church, as believers, we're created for such a time as this. We're created to love that way. We're created to care for people that way in such a time as this. We're to love genuinely with a God-sized type of love regardless of what we get in return. Regardless of what happens to us. And church, hear me, when we love like this, when we love this way, the world's going to take notice. The world's going to take notice because that's not the kind of love that this world loves with. Somebody says something to you and you don't like it, you just dump and find somebody else. If he isn't doing it for you, then you find somebody that'll do it for you. If they don't make you feel, then you find somebody else that'll make you feel. That's what the kind of love that this world pushes and puts before us. Not this agape, all-in type of love. And then look at the second way as we continue on in verse 9. The second way that we 
the church are to be in such a time as this is to do this, is to hate evil. It's to hate evil. Look at what he says. He says, he says, abhor is evil. Abhor means to loathe. It means to hate, to despise, have nothing to do with. He says, hate, loathe, despise anything that's evil. So as followers of Jesus, we have this intense dislike for that which is evil. And we hold fast to what's good. So my question for you this morning is this. Do you have a holy hatred for what is evil? For sin? Do you despise sin? And I know that that's kind of a, a difficult, difficult reality because, I mean, though we're being sanctified, though God's doing a work in us and we've, we've been declared righteous and in that he's sanctifying us and shaping us and molding us all the more into the image of his son, there is still this unregenerated body that we're a part of. And there are longings of the flesh that, that, that just desire something that's evil and not good. It is a war, and if you're not battling and you're not fighting a war, I would say you've already been defeated. But there is this war that is constantly going on with the inner man and this flesh that we live in that encapsulates us as, as, as souls. And there's this fight and this battle that's going on. And hear me, there are times that I want to sin. There are times that, that I love sin. There are times that sin feels good. And give me a second helping of it. But the problem is this, is I don't belong to me anymore as a follower of Jesus. I've got a new heart. Remember, the, the old man is dead. The new man is alive. And so there's a battle and there is a fight going on. And whenever I feel that, I've got to remind myself that there has got to be this hatred for things that are contrary to God and his word and his standard and his character and his nature. And I've got to fight against that. So do you have that in you? Do you have hatred for what is evil? This, this loathing of what is evil? Because I'm going to be honest with you, all the time I don't. And so what do I do? I pray harder. What do I do? I found more accountability. What do I do? I welcome that in. I get in God's word and I allow him to shape me and form me and mold me all the more to the image of his son. And as he does that, hear me, the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I hate the world. You need to understand what that means. The things of the world. The thoughts of the world. The ways of the world. The more time I spend with, with holiness and righteousness and Jesus that's found in him and his word, his body, his bride, the more time that I'm around that, the more I start to see myself just kind of gravitating to that and loving that all the more. But what I have also learned is the more that I neglect spending time in the Word, the more that I neglect those times with Jesus and the, and the body and, and in worship and those times, the easier it is to kind of drift closer and closer to the world. And, and so what I've learned is this, whatever you feed grows. Whatever you feed grows. So if I'm feeding the flesh, the flesh is going to grow. The desire of, and the lust of the flesh is going to get greater and more intense. But if I am feeding the spirit, then the spirit's going to grow. And what I've learned about the spirit is when you feed it, it becomes ferocious. I mean, it becomes crazy ferocious. And it becomes hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. And you want more and more and more. And you'll grow more and more and more. And this intense love for Jesus will be greater and greater and greater and the only way that we can get to that point is to hate evil, to hate sin, to hate things that are contrary to God. That's why I'm always pressing you to always find an avenue uh, for accountability, to bring sin into the light. Why? Because darkness hates light. The things of this world hates when the light reveals its motives. He goes on and says this, he says, hold, to, hold fast to what is good. It's right actions, moral qualities that resemble, resemble that of the nature and character of God. Hold fast to that. Long for that. Don't let go. Don't swerve from. Hate evil. Hold fast to what is good. 
The third way that we as a church, that we're to be in such a time as this is this, is to show brotherly love. Show brotherly love. Here he goes again in verse 10, says love, right? You would think that Paul's kind of doing what we've done in our culture and our world today, okay? He's just using love for everything. But what we miss, again, in the original language is that this is a different word for love. It's different from the word that he loved, that he used earlier. Earlier was agape, this is phileo. And phileo is this love of friendship and camaraderie. It's the word here in Romans 12, it's got this form like the last. But, but, but love one another with a brotherly affection, a brotherly desire. And I know in our world, in our culture, that this family love can be crazy, that families are nuts, and you've got a sister, I've got a sister, I've got parents, I'm 37, but that doesn't mean that I'm not their baby, and they don't baby me sometimes, or they don't parent me sometimes, or they don't, and we don't have uh, uh, butt heads sometimes, and we don't argue, or we don't fuss, or we don't fight. It's like I got a phone call from my sister this week, and we're talking, and then it gets a little heated for a moment, I'm like, whoa, let's back up just a second, let's, let's make sure we're understanding what we're saying. And see, I, my fear is that, that, that not many of us know how to show that kind of brotherly love. One, we live in a world where we never give the benefit of the doubt anymore. Huh? When was the last time you give the benefit of the doubt to someone? Well, that jerk just cut me off. Oh, they're trying to kill me. Maybe they just didn't see you. Maybe they're in a hurry. Maybe they, yeah, well, they shouldn't be. You're right, they shouldn't be. But as believers, man, we're called to be patient. We're called to show this kind of love to have this brotherly love. And my fear is that, is that we as families, you see that, and I even, I even feel kind of weird talking about it this morning. Just show like this family brotherly type of, oh, I hate my brother. Maybe we don't understand what this kind of love is like. Because in this culture, in this world, in this day, family was everything. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a huge weight put upon the family, a care for one another, a being committed to. Again, and it all stems from that agape love. So for us as followers of Jesus, we're called to love with that kind of reckless, crazy abandonment, no matter what, that kind of love. And that kind of love trickles down to this phileo kind of love, this brotherly type of love where, where man, we're family, we're in, I don't care what. And he says to love one another that way, this a true caring for. It refers to this special kind of love, a tender, affectionate family type affection and you, you don't show that kind of affection and love with just everybody he's saying that's the kind of love that we're to show that's what would be this friendship this camaraderie brotherly love one another and then look at how it's manifested in relationships because of that brotherly love that care for one another that, that, that commitment to each other then he says to do this he says to outdo one another in showing honor church we were created for a time like this when we live in a culture and a world that doesn't outdo or outshine somebody else, they want to be number one, we want to be number one, we're going to fight for us, me, 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 my, my, my. He says, outdo one another. Paul is literally saying, try to, try to one-up. Try to one-up someone. Place a high value on that person so much that, that, that you'll one-up them, that you'll try to outdo them. Are you going to hold the door for me? I'm going to hold two doors for you. You going to buy my lunch? I'm going to buy your, your dinner because it's more expensive. You're going to cut my grass? I'm going to cut, I'm even going to weed eat your yard. Bring that. I mean, that's what he's saying for us to do. Church, we were created for such a time as this. If we would just live this way, you want to talk about having an impact in our world, in this fallen world, if we would try to outdo one another because of the brotherly love that we feel toward people, that we would try to outdo, when was the last time you tried to outdo someone and not get ahead yourself? 
It's not the world we live in. That's not the culture that's being created, is it? But it's the culture that God has created to outdo one another, to care enough for somebody else to try to help them get ahead. What about me? What about you? If we were to live this way, it would trickle down, would it not? It would hit all of us. I mean, cut your neighbor's grass the next time. And to drive through, pray, pay for someone else behind you. I mean, we can get as creative as we want to get to try to outdo other people. I mean, think about that for a moment. Imagine what that would do in your life. If you forgot about the negative for a moment and you just tried to think of, in one day, the things that you could do to try to outdo somebody. Wherever you eat, give a bigger tip. Pay for the table next to you. Actually watch and say, see that single mama loving on her kids. Why don't you pay for their dinner? Just look for opportunities. Standing in line at Walmart, pay for the person in front of you. That buggy's big. Bigger the impact you'll have, I guess. I don't know. I mean, there are tons of ways that we can show this brotherly type love to outdo other people and showing honor. Right? We live in a culture where we love to point out the dirt on people. We don't like to look for the good. We don't like to look for that and try to outdo it. And see, when we see the word honor here, it's seeing others value, their worth. That's what he's talking about there. It's bragging on them, honoring them. Church, the fourth way that we as the church are to be in such a time of this is to rejoice, be patient, and pray. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, rejoice in hope, rejoice, rejoy. It's have joy over and over over and over and over again. Rejoy, to get more joy, to do joy again, to have joy, experience joy. We do this because of where joy is found. And our joy is rooted what? In hope. And so what does it mean to have joy and hope? What does hope even mean? Hope is looking forward to in a confident expectation. That's what hope is. So we look forward to in confident expectation. So regardless of what happens, we have a confident expectation in what? Jesus. If nothing else good ever happens in our life, we have Jesus, and that's enough. If God doesn't bless us not one more day, doesn't do for us not one more thing, he has already done too much in his son, Jesus. Church, we're quick to take our eyes off. We're so quick to forget. We're so quick to overlook and become ungrateful. But we're to find our joy. We're to rejoy where? In hope. We set our hearts on how good it will be in the age to come, not the here and now. Church, look at me. This is not heaven. This is not supposed to be heaven. You're not supposed to love this place so much that you don't want to go anywhere else. But my fear is that our hearts get so wrapped up in the stuff here, we don't want heaven. That this is enough. And hear me, this is horrific compared to what the scriptures describe as heaven. Because do you know what heaven is? It's unadulterated Jesus 24-7. There's no filters. There's no holdback. There, there is nothing but full-on presence of our God. Full-on presence of Jesus. Church, that's heaven. And my fear is that we have lost the meaning and the awe and the hope in that. Don't fall so in love with here and now. We've got to get our eyes off of the here and now. We've got to get our eyes off of us. We get Jesus, the one who's given it all for us for eternity. And so our joy is rooted in our hope, which is Christ and the redemptive work of the cross. And so this is how we can live out what Peter is pointing out, what he's pointing to next. He says this, he says, be patient. Now that's tough enough as it is, but he's going to make it a little bit harder for us. In such a time of this, this is how we're to be, this is how we're to live. He says to be patient, but not just patient at Walmart in line. 
Even though that may kind of fall along in the line of what I'm about to talk about here. But he says, be patient how? In tribulation. Okay, patience is hard enough as it is, is it not? And then Paul goes on and just raises the bar a little bit. He says, oh, by the way, be patient when? In tribulation. And difficulties and struggles and strife. Not, not just when you're, you're doing your thing and you're living your life or you're going at it. He says, but be, be patient how in tribulation. See, what tribulation represents is something that's done to us. Something that happens to us. Um, and so just, I guess, maybe be the bearer of bad news here. I don't know. If you just look at history, and history normally repeats itself. And if we'll just kind of watch and what happens to the church. Like, like you understand the world can't stay in the church, Right? Like the lost world despises the fact that you and I meet in this place, lift high the name of Jesus, live for a standard, live for a way. Like like the world despises that. And what Jesus says is, don't worry, they hate you. Remember, they hated me first. And so we just need to understand that things are going to get rough for us as believers. They should be. If history tells us anything, if the scriptures tells us anything, remember they hated Jesus, so they're going to hate us. We're his followers. We're little Jesus is living out here. So the world's going to hate us and despise us. They're going to think our motives are crazy. They're going to think our standards are ludicrous and ridiculous. They're going to think all of these things against us because we are fools and we're uneducated and we're simple-minded. There's kids in here. That's going to be the perception of followers of Jesus and believers in the world. They're going to think we're weak, to which my response is, absolutely, brother, you better believe I am. He's just your crutch. No, he's my wheelchair. Crutch is saying that I'm having to do something, that I can do something on my own. Man, I need him to push me around because I can't. I understand that and I know that. And so, so, so that's the reality. That's the world we're living in. And what Paul says is that when the world looks at us that way, and as the world continues to get darker and things continue to get more difficult for us as believers and followers of Jesus, man, we have the opportunity to shine in that. Do you know where the church shines the brightest right now? Not America. Do you know where the church shines the brightest right now? China. Third world countries where it's been outlawed to be a believer, where you could lose your life, or they could come in and take you. Like like my boy and I, we were having a conversation the other day, and we were just talking about it, and I try to use every opportunity that I have to just, man, to just share Jesus with him. My oldest, he's a believer. He he said that he's come to faith, and the the things that I've seen in his life would point that way. He's been baptized, and so I want to do everything I can to disciple this boy, to, to get his eyes off of him, to get his eyes off of this world, and just to share Jesus with him more and more and more. And so we're driving the other day, and I said, buddy, you know one day it could get bad. Well, what do you mean, Dad? I said, for you to say that you love Jesus could cause you to go to jail. Well, they wouldn't do that. I said, oh, they would do that. They would do that in a minute. And I said, do you know what? It could be even worse. He says, what's that? It's probably not. Anyways, he said, I said, if they say that you love Jesus and then they kill you. Oh, they would never do that. I said, they're doing it in the world right now. Where at? I said, it's happening all over the place, buddy. People who take the name of Jesus in other countries whenever the, the, the government has outlawed to be a believer of Jesus. I mean, I've, I've got a brother-in-law right now that goes to Nepal every year. And, and you're not allowed to openly proclaim the faith. It can cost you something. They'll, they'll deport you if you're found to be living there and you're, you're, you're Nepalese and, and they can put you in prison. They can stri- strip you from everything that you've got. And so I looked at him and I told him, he's like, Dad, there's no way. I said, but they might one day. I said, what are you going to say? He's like, well, I'll just tell them I'm not. I said, ah. I said, why would you do that? He's like, I don't want to die. 
I said, well, neither do I. I said, but buddy, Jesus is so much better. And he's like, Dad, do you really think that? I said, no, I know that. I, I know that he is. And so at nine years old, having this kind of conversation, this kind of depth, and I'll just dabble in it for a minute, and I'll back out, and we'll, we won't talk about it for another week, and then we'll kind of, we'll revisit it here. And there. I, I want him to get his heart around the reality of who Jesus Christ is and how great he is, because our heart says everything is. And I've had that conversation in my mind, too. If they bust in, and they're like, okay, I'm going to kill you. Ah, no, 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 not Jesus. And then after that, I'll say, uh-huh, yeah, I love Jesus. But, but I think there's something in the scriptures that says, if you deny me before men, then what, I'll deny you before whom? My father. I don't want to be in that place. And so I beg God now to seal in my heart. Oh God, if I ever get to that place, you want to talk about something crazy? They bust in and they don't kill you, but they take your family. What do you say then? Do you deny Jesus then? Also, he's not as valuable and worth as much as your family? See, that's the kind of crazy stuff that we've got to remember that's happening in our world, in our culture now. That's where we're at, church. That's what can happen. And Paul says to be patient in those moments. Be patient in that kind of tribulation. Be patient in those areas. It's easy to kind of be patient in not so important stuff. But when important stuff comes, he says to be patient in those moments. Because church, we were created for such a time as that. And man, whenever difficulties and struggles and, and things that are uncomfortable for us come our way and we are patient in it, because my quick response is I want out. Anything uncomfortable, anything that pushes me outside of my comfort zone, I want to be done with it. And, and I want comfort and I want ease, just like anybody else. But Paul says, well, well you, you be patient in that because in those moments, that's where God works the most. That's where God does his greatest work in our heart. Look at what he does as he continues. He says this, he says, be constant in prayer. So be patient in tribulation and then be constant in prayer. And so I just want to encourage you here for a moment. Just pay attention to what Paul's doing here. See, because with prayer, we understand and we see things differently. Do you notice what he says? He says, be constant in prayer. He doesn't say, just, oh, just say a prayer. Or just do the prayer thing. Or just pray a little bit. No, he says, be constant in prayer. Constant brings about this thought of always doing it. Being constant in prayer. It's not a Hail Mary in the fourth quarter. It's an ever-going, running conversation with our Savior whereby we are just talking and sharing our heart. And the thing about prayer is that we listen as much as we talk. All right, God, what are you doing? God, what do you want to tell me today? God, I know I've talked a lot, but I just want to hear from you. I have a lot of ideas down here, but I know that your way is perfect and better. And God, I just want to be in tune with what you have to say. I just want to do whatever it is you want to do. That's what prayer is. And he says, be constant. Be in that place. Well, see, the problem is we're entitled people, aren't we? we? We are entitled people. We have companies that will deliver food to our house in, in less than, than two hours. You hungry right now? You can order it. It'll meet you at your house before you get there. Don't do that. You're in church. God will burn that burger. He loves you enough to do that. That'll be a rotten tomato on that sandwich. But did you know, like, there, there are companies out there that'll do that. You need groceries, you can order it right now and it'll be there in two hours. Not to mention Amazon, Right? They will get you your order in two days. My fear is that that's how we approach prayer. My fear is that's the way we look at prayer. We ask and we ask. And we, oh God, it's been two hours. I mean, I've prayed. Maybe I haven't been constant in it, but I, I prayed about it twice. Once in the morning and once at lunch. And why haven't you just done it? Do it. Give me, give me, give me. And we get ticked because he never gives us what he's never promised. Did you catch that? 
He never has given us what he's, he hadn't even promised us that. And we get mad and we get frustrated and so we just give up on it. But anyway, that's not the point of prayer. That's not how prayer works. See, my fear is that our understanding about prayer is kind of like our kids at Christmas. We just take God our list and we wait on the 25th to get here. God doesn't work like that. Prayer doesn't work like that. I would even venture to say that the whole point of prayer is not for us to get, but for us to be transformed. That the whole point of prayer is not for God to give us or do for us, but the whole point of us is to turn our heart and to tune our dependency all the more on Him. I would argue that's what prayer is about. Not what God will get or God will do, but God will help align us. Align our hearts to joy that's found only in Christ, no matter the circumstances or no matter what is given or not given. So church, we're to be constant in prayer. We're to have that ongoing conversation always. And so when we encounter the storms of life, our joy, our hope, our patience is prayer. And that's how we are impacted. That's how we're changed. Imagine what that does in the world in such a season, in such a time as this. Somebody asks you a question. Can you give me a few days to pray about it? Hey, can you, can you let me, just, just give me a second to pray about it. Man, like right now, I love it because my two little boys, like we, we are like, like praying, they're praying fools and I love it. And they challenge daddy and they, I mean, it can be something goofy. Like he stubbed his toe getting out of the shower. Dad, pray, oh, pray for it. I'm like, okay, buddy, let's do it. I'll grab that little toe. I probably shouldn't grab it. I'll gently caress that little toe. And I'll pray a heck of a prayer for that toe. And when I'm done, I'm always like, all right, does it feel better? Yeah. Well, it should have been like five minutes since you stubbed it. But anyways, yeah. That's right. See, prayer works, buddy. And we could be driving down the road and, and one of them will think of something. The day can we pray? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I want them to be conditioned that way. I want them to think, man, who do I talk to in this moment? Oh, let's talk to God about it. What conversation do I need to have? Let's talk to God about it. Man, to be constant in prayer. I want to condition him. I want to condition my life that way. And so the funny thing that I've found now is, is that my boys are challenging me and pressing me in that. Ah, buddy, that's a great idea. We should pray about it. Yeah. yeah let's, let's talk to Jesus. Oh, because he's the only one that can do something. And if he can't do something, then he can do something. Well, he can't always do something. But if he chooses not to do something in that moment, what can he do? He can do something in my heart to change me. So let's do it, man. Let's pray. And so the fifth and the final way is we as a church are, are to be in such a time as this is to do this, is to contribute. It's to contribute. It's to do something. To get the fo- See, contribution gets the focus off of us. Why? Because we're busy doing something for someone else. And, and hear me, there is great danger in being idle. You hear me? There is great, great danger in being idle. And so what Paul says here, the way we're to be in such a time as this, as churches, we're to contribute, what, to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. So as the band comes back up, we're to take care of each other. We're to show hospitality. We're to give and we're to do for one another. You have a need, how can I help? How can I meet that need? I, mean, I love the early church in Acts. What does it say? It says that they sold their belongings. Why? To take care of one another. To take care of one another, to share with one another, to make sure that there were needs that were met in their community. They would do whatever they had to do. And you know what, church? I want to applaud you again because what happened in December was there was a family that had a need, a single mama, uh, three kids? Single mama had three kids. And one Sunday I said, hey, if you'd be willing to be a, be a help, be a part of that, what we raised over $1,000 for this family for Christmas. I mean, that's what that looks like. What do you think it did in that mama's heart for, for her family, for her? 
to know that it came from the church. To know that it came from a group of believers who wasn't just like, oh, we'll just pray for you, brother and sister. No cost to me. Yeah, I can pray. That doesn't cost me nothing hardly. I can give up a minute or two here and there. But instead, what do we do? We open up our wallet. And that's where it hits a little harder, isn't it? And we, we sacrificially gave. Sacrificially gave. I mean, we, there was a need and we rose to the occasion. So in such a time as this, we as followers of Jesus, the church, we live this way, open-handed. We take care of one another. We show hospitality. We invite in. We care for. Church, imagine the impact it will make if we live like this in 2021. And you know what the crazy, the crazy thing is as I think about this here as we close? Is this is how we just should be every day. We should love genuine. We should hate evil. We should show brotherly love. We should rejoice, be patient. We should constantly be in prayer. And we should contribute to the saints. We should show hospitality to those who are in need. I mean, that's just the basic heartbeat of the believer. There's no, there's not like a special, okay, in Christmas season do this or in Thanksgiving season do There's no side notes or little footnotes in the scriptures with this. This is Paul talking to the believers at Rome. We're the believers in Spartanburg. And, and this is what he's calling us to do. And the, and the great news is we were created for such a time as, as crazy as the world is, it doesn't make sense to live this way. Absolutely, because it doesn't make sense to live in Jesus if you don't have Jesus living in you. But they're going to take advantage of. Absolutely, the world's going to take advantage of. They should. That's the way they're wired. Selfish. All about them. Remember, we were in that position too. They're going to think we're hateful and mean. Well, you know how we prove that we're not hateful and mean? We continue to walk with them in love. Telling them the truth about the reality of where they're at. Telling them sin is sin, but caring enough for them to continue to walk with them. Continue to pray for them. But they don't want anything to do with me. But you know what? They can't stop a text message. They can't stop a Facebook message. And I don't mean like one of those hateful, like I pray God gets you. No, no, I'm just real genuine love type messages. And I love you. I care for you. Just praying for you today. I don't know what God's doing, but you know I'm here. Even if they don't want you to be there, you can still be there. And they can't, they can't stop you from praying. Church, if we live that way, imagine what God would do in this community. Imagine what would happen in our communities where we live. Man, we were created for a time like this. So as the world gets crazier, as the world gets darker, we get to shine brighter and we get to be the hands and feet of the resurrected Jesus Christ in our community, in our culture, in our world. Man, so may God live in us in such a way as to point and to show. Such a time as this, this is how we were created. This is part one. Next week, part two, we'll continue to follow this out. Father, help us hear your word. But more than that, help us be doers of your word and not just hearers. Oh, Father, challenge us, change us, shape us. Father, I know that I need to do a better job loving. I know that I need to do a better job giving. I know that I need to be more patient in tribulation. Oh, Father, continue to work in me. And God, may this world see how good and gracious you are because God, these type of things are not things that are produced in a heart that doesn't belong to you, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer that over a lifetime will point to the glory and fame of our Savior. So God, do a work in our lives here. Those watching online, 
Make your presence known in a mighty way. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand, the altar's going to be open. If you want to come pray, if you need somebody to pray with you, if you want to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus so you can live this way, man, I'll be here. I know Austin's here. We would love to talk more with you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, but you be obedient in this moment to whatever it is that he calls you to.